On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Joel Beasley. It's something that happens in society, but we don't talk about it a lot. Like We respect what's incredibly difficult. We respect it with our attention. We respect it with our dollars. Look at pro athletes. I mean, Navy SEALs have an incredible amount of respect, partially because of how difficult we know the training is, right? Like it's called Hell Week, right? And, And the fact that they go through that, they earn our respect because we know that they can go through that. Joel, thanks for making time. Thank you, man. It's fun. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so for people that don't know the modern CTO, can you tell us about the podcast and the book and and your uh, leadership bits company? Yeah, so the podcast started because I had written a blog, which turned into a book. And then before I published the book, I wanted to talk with CTOs, chief technology officers, about the content inside of it. So I sent the book out to people. We ended up having these really interesting conversations about it sort of recording and sharing the conversations. And then that's how the podcast got started. It grew. And now we have, you know, about 70,000 active listeners and people all over the world. And we interview the CTOs of NASA, Microsoft, Verizon, T-Mobile. But we do like small CTOs, medium CTOs, and large CTOs just so they can get, you know, the audience gets a nice wide range of experience. And about how many episodes have you done so far? I, rec- I did 230 last year, but we've only released, I think, 100, 110. Okay. So, um, you know, this is a space that gets a lot of attention, um, uh, especially where you're getting, you know, 70,000 people engaged. I'm sure you guys get calls like we do about sponsors trying to get on the show and yeah. stuff, I like guess. Um, you know, we've been doing some – we're working on a new miniseries with Forbes, and we've um, we've been contacted by Bloomberg to do something with them. And when you think about a space that like, in a way, I feel like I'm a beginner, I'm just like a slightly longer, I've been a beginner longer than some of these yeah. organizations. And yet, you know, it's, it's interesting, like executives from really senior companies, including some who have their own podcasts, have like reached out to us and say like, hey, I think it'd be easier to just do this with you than fight all their internal bureaucracy and stuff like that, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, when you think about the quality of guests and the size of listenership, um, for other folks out there who are trying to, you know, use media as say a marketing angle, you know, they don't want to just put a fluffy post on Facebook. They want to do something that's actually valuable for other folks. What kind of advice do you have about, um, just the way you've approached the content you're building and, and maybe why you feel like it's caught on the way it has? No, that's, that's amazing. So do you know Gary V? Of course. Okay. So I was at this point in my life where I was having my, my first child, his daughter, and I had an app company, about 15 people, had some money in, in savings. And I was thinking long term because I was having some nostalgia about when I was a kid watching my parents and how old they, they were. And I just realized that the next 20 or 30 years is going to go by really fast. And technology is only going by faster. 
So I was sitting there at this crossroads, like, what do I do? Do I continue to invest in my app company and just do these one-off client projects? Or do I do something different and, and build a brand and try what this Gary Vee guy is doing? And, and so I, I decided to, to do that. I said, let's, let's look at the space, see where I have credibility, what my experience is, and where I can bring value to others. And it was in the CTO space because that was my entire you know, professional experience. So I started writing and sharing in, in there. And I, I put money into it. So I put $250,000 of my own cash into starting this podcast, which I knew would not make any money. Um, and just to add value to other people, you know, start that conversation and, and help others. And I knew that if I did it really well, that it would grow and that would raise, you know, my level of influence and it would get my name out there and it would allow me to connect with more people because I could have taken that money and put it into an AI startup, which is what I was really considering doing as AI is really hot, you know, especially two years ago. But then I thought, you know, with the way the market goes and the way technology goes, it would be better just to have a lot of amazing relationships and bring a lot of people value with, with that chunk of cash that I had. So I started the podcast and the book and all of that and started sharing. And so I think it got popular because first it was the, you know, only one in the niche of talking to CTOs that did it professionally. There were about two or three other podcasts that had come and gone. Like they had like eight episodes in like 2014 or something. So there, no one was doing it continuously actively. And then no one was doing it incredibly professionally and, and treating it like a, like a business. So I rented an office space, uh, hired and Jake and uh, he's the show's producer. And we just started figuring out what people wanted to hear about and how to bring on value. And then I just uh, messaged out to hundreds of people every single day. I spent my entire day just sitting down, messaging out people, asking them to come on my podcast, which didn't ex you know, exist. We just had a logo and a web page because <laughs> we had to you know, do like four or five episodes before we launched it. And so I got my, my friends, people I knew, whoever I could, whoever would talk to me uh, to come and you know, talk and share value on the show. So we did the first couple episodes, put it out there. In our first month, we had like 5,000 people that were listening. And so we were really pumped up about it. Uh, I, I started increasing the show. I hired another person to help just book guests just all the time. I found out if I reach out to a hundred people, I could get one to say yes. So then it was just a numbers game. We stacked it up, got a lot of good response after those first five episodes. Um, then, then people, uh, started really responding a lot faster after the first five, we got it up to, I was doing three shows a day and then I, I started losing my voice because uh, I can't talk that much. So, uh, we dropped it down to two shows a day, and then after a couple months, the leadership company came out of it. People were asking about the leadership company, and so that happened, and then I had to drop it down to just Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, so now we just do two episodes a week, with the exception of like when we get NASA. I was like, yes, we can do three shows that week because I really want to talk to Douglas. <laughs> Seriously. So yeah. I was I was actually listening to that episode right before we hopped on this. Uh, what an interesting guy. Uh, just amazing. And and he's a big, he's really into leadership as, as you are, right? So he sat down or his boss sat him down his first day and said, the way I'm going to measure your success, Douglas, the way that I'm going to, to determine if you're doing a good job is not based on, you know, the stories delivered, the projects completed, bottom line growth, none of that. He said, I'm going to judge you based on how well you grow and mentor your team. Basically, how many leaders you produce. And so I thought that was a really interesting way to look at leadership. And so he sort of uh, won best friend status with me from that comment. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. 
Well, and it's interesting, you know, as he was talking about leading the innovation efforts there and how, you know, so often people think about the technical mechanical side of things, but they're not thinking about all the life sciences innovations and, and all these other aspects that they have to cover, right? Yeah, they're a very innovative company and uh, their tech transfer thing is, that's like one of my favorite parts of, of innovation where they, we, we have power tools because of NASA. Did you know that? No. Yeah. So there's this program called tech transfer. And the government, well, specifically NASA, they make all of these things that they need, like special type of plastics, polymers, you know, all this stuff that they need to make space travel possible. And then they transfer it to the private sector for them to commercialize it. So there's a whole list of all of these great, amazing things that we have because of NASA. So I knew that happened at universities. I didn't know NASA did that. That's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, the tech transfer happens in universities. It happens uh, with all government. So even our uh, military with, you know, building machines of all sorts. Uh, So it happens across across the government. So going through this story, when you think about somebody who um, is wanting to duplicate some of your successes, when they're saying, hey, I want to take principles of what worked for Joel to help our division at this company, right? Mm -hmm. Um, How would you break that, you know, your approach? How would you break that down? I mean, I heard some practical things in there of you got to ask 100 people to get one to say yes. But what are are some other just tactical, practical, um, how can I take that principle and apply it to our industry, you know, if we're trying to get attention for what we're the service we're providing or the product we're making? Yeah, this is going to sound like strange advice. (laughs) But I would say uh, to improve yourself as a human. So my biggest takeaway from this entire experience is is less about the like the tactical like reach out to 100 people if you want to do this and it's more about uh, discipline uh, with yourself and how you know, that's something I've learned to be it's brand new for me this concept I used to think discipline was like getting spanked as a child right mm-hmm. is it's discipline's doing what you know you should be doing even when you don't want to and so I guess growing and overcoming and learning all of that from myself is is what's made all the upper, uh, all the other opportunity possible. Like now I get up at 5 a.m. for a morning run and I do a whole workout routine and I'm completely 100% winning my morning before 9 a.m. hits. I'm on top of everything. So like that was not me two years ago. It, it just, I had to change to do what I wanted to do. And I think, you know, now, and now the people gravitate, the people who are similar to me will start to gravitate around me. Like it's so interesting. You see these leaders at companies and you can see their team directly below them. Their direct reports are like mirrors of the leader, right? Like the people that are, will follow you are the people who will respect like what you're doing, right? You, it's just, you can't have a company, um, with a bunch of, uh, people that aren't like this, the leader, <laughs> right? The people are always like the leader. So that was an interesting thing to me because when I was growing the podcast and as we were growing the company and I saw all these um, people around me, it was very different than the last business I had owned where they were subcontractor type people, uh, engineers, and we were all very similar. But now this business, uh, I realized how much of an effect the leader has on the people that are working in the office with them. So I'd say the core principles of discipline and self-improvement are where I would always start with, with any group of people that are trying to do something innovative. You know, it's interesting. Um, We're working on our new product for our leadership program. And uh, it reminds me of a quote I was reading yesterday saying that 
character is the number one influence tool. And, uh, you know, this author's point of view is that like our, you know, if we have rock solid integrity, that that is, that is the major leverage point for attracting people to us, you know, as we're trying to persuade them to do whatever it is we're trying to persuade them to do. And so you're right, that is non-traditional advice. But at the same time, I guess I see it in my life when I'm you know, I consider myself a pretty social guy. I like to go to the conferences. We obviously talk to a lot of people on this show. Um, and I can definitely say, like, those people who impress me with how they conduct themselves, I, I want to bend over backwards for them. I want to have them on the show. I want to try to uh, make connections for them to people from our Rolodex. And, like, I do find myself wanting to kind of go the extra mile for people that I, I have respect for, even if I just met them. It's something that happens in society, but we don't talk about it a lot. Like we respect what's incredibly difficult. We respect it with our attention. We respect it with our dollars. Look at pro athletes. I mean, why, Navy SEALs have an incredible amount of respect, partially because of how difficult we know the training is, right? Like it's called hell week, right? And, <laughs> and the fact that they go through that, they earn our respect because we know that they can go through that. It's in society, we do that with, with everyone that that's able to do the the impossible to do what's difficult because by default it's easy to be lazy it's hard to you know work your face off and achieve something great so when we see that we naturally want to help those people yeah you know it's interesting too you talk about this discipline to do what you think you should do instead of what you feel like doing and i probably said it different than that but um I think about this, like being willing to reach out to a hundred people, knowing you're only going to get one. Yes. And nobody likes rejection. Nobody likes, you know, being a little bit vulnerable and not hearing back. Right. Um, and that willingness to do it anyways, uh, you know, I know it's simple. I know it's cliche. And at the same time it works, right? Yeah. It, and it's, it's motivating too, because I don't focus on that. It's like a 100 to one. I sort of started to look at it like that's the formula for me to get what I want out of life. So I put my focus on where I want to be. And then I just look at everything else as like the small details of the things that have to occur for me to have the happiness uh, that I want for me to get to where I want to go. So that th doesn't, doesn't really bother me. Like I don't, I don't attach to it emotionally as rejection. I'm just like, Oh, this is a process that operates that has to be run through in order for me to get the outcome I desire. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to this though, the, the approach that you took when you started the podcast and, and we should talk about the book as well. Um, you know, there, there are so many folks that they recognize the benefits for themselves recognize the benefits for the organization to get out there and create content right mm -hmm. and then so much of it is about themselves and it's like you know the military calls it a self-licking ice cream cone right <laughs> i've uh, heard that before yeah. that's amazing <laughs> uh and and you've definitely taken a different approach right like you are legitimately i don't know i'm a big fan of the author ryan holiday uh and he's he's always talking about you know if you want a book to last for 10 years if you want to creative project to last for a decade or more you either need to be wildly entertaining or incredibly practical right and mm -hmm. uh it seems like this is not you know this is not just a big chance for you to stand up on stage and say everybody look at joel um that you have taken the approach of of trying to bring an audience information they don't have otherwise and and it appears that you have a pretty intentional strategy on on value for others, which, you know, reciprocally ends up coming back to you. Yeah, I always put like the word you a bunch of times at the top of my notes when when I'm writing. 
because I'm I'm always looking for you know how to speak to to someone to bring them value. And it's hard when giving it like I have a talk right now that I'm giving all around the world, like Sweden, Chicago. I just gave it, you know, last week in Synapse. I'm giving it tomorrow in Tampa. Uh, it is called Create Better Leaders. It's the habits and patterns of the greatest technology leaders on earth. So that talk was designed as me. I looked back on the year and I, I said, look at all these great conversations I had. I want to take the habits that are most common, the things that people the stories, you know, how they got to from entry level engineer to running these, you know, tr in Microsoft case, you know, trillion dollar company. And how, how did they do that? And so I was really interested in that. So I took this talk and I focused on, you know, four stories, made it a 25 minute talk. And then I share a story and a piece of tactical advice for, for each of the stories on how the, the person listening can can take action on on that advice. And so, yeah, it's always about bringing value to others, but doing that, designing that talk to, to not be about me was like very hard in the actual authoring of the talk. Yeah. Can you talk about overcoming it? Because it is, it is such a natural temptation for all of us. Uh, keeping it in front of you, editing your work, realizing that the only way you can get ahead in life is by helping other people get what they want. That's how the market operates. Like if you think about it, like anybody that works at a job is being paid by someone else to get something that they want done, right? And you, the only thing you can do in the market is help somebody get what they want. So from oil, right, because we want gas, because we can want to get places, that's why we buy it. The only way market demand exists is because you're helping someone somehow get what they want. And so when we were designing our company and I was designing the content and in everything I do, I'm always saying, how is what I am producing right now going to help someone get what they want? And if I can't figure it out, then it's not, it's too wishy-washy. It's not good enough. I love it. Well, um, we're about out of time for part one of the episode. Um, and everybody make sure to tune into part two. But uh, Joel, one of my favorite questions I've been asking lately is um, if you could go back and um, give some advice to a younger version of yourself, what do you think you'd say? Yeah. I'd say learn everything you can about discipline and the whole concept of the Tony Robbins type material. That is what you need to go look at. So I had written it off because for some reason my parents or the, the culture I grew up in said that that was stupid and didn't work. So I didn't even look at that sort of life improvement as an option. I had pre-written it off without ever even trying it just by growing up in my nature and behavior. Uh, then I figured it out. I started exploring it in my early 20s. I'm in my early 30s now. And I started exploring in my early 20s and I realized it is so true. And people just get upset at it because they think it's a, a magic pill to take and they don't realize that it's not something to listen to once. It's not like you can't listen to a Tony Robbins talk once and you're fixed forever. It's just something you have to do every single day. So love it. Any uh, besides Tony Robbins, any other, you know, top authors or top people that are make your list? Oh, yeah. So talk wise, I love uh, Les Brown is hilarious. So for the motivational speaker type people and then for some wisdom stuff, big fan of Simon Sinek. Solid choices. OK, yeah. everybody tune back into uh, part two of our interview. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. 
anyways, he uh, he started a new company called BlipBillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.